Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Andrew Monday. Andrew was the first employee over at a little known company called DoorDash, um, and then he ran operations there for about four years as a co-founder at Future.Fit, and now is the current COO and co-founder at Local Kitchens, which recently raised a $25 million uh, round of funding from General Catalyst, DoorDash, and a guy named Steph Curry, if you've heard of him before. So, um, guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation. I'm excited to chat. Uh, with more uh, tech founders and uh, bring you guys a little bit more insight on the industry and uh, how you could potentially use some of the uh, same principles that guys like Andrew have used to go raise money for your own ideas. So, Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, DoorDash, let's go there first. Talk a little bit about what it's like being, I mean, employee number one for you to go from just being like, oh, this is just some random company that you know hired me to being... I mean, essentially a household name. Uh, what, what was it like, you know, in that growth atmosphere? What did you take away from that? 
Yeah. I mean, I think there's two ways to answer it. One is just like the validation, you know, when you join the delivery space in 2013 and there's 30 companies doing it and, you know, you can't make money and all these other narratives. It feels great that most of these companies are dead and, you know, we've IPO'd, we're successful and all that. That's awesome. But I think more important and more fun is probably the journey. Like you just, you learn so much constantly, you know, punching above your weight because early stage, you know, you're kind of the best they can afford. So you get thrust into all these things that you're probably not qualified for. So the, the rate of learning, you know, in four years there, I probably accomplished like literally 12, 15 years worth of work. What was the hiring process like for you then? Like, did you just you knew somebody or got, got a connection to the founder or like? Yeah. Hire? One of my best friends was at Stanford GSB with Tony, founder and CEO. Yeah. And he made an intro and it was super early on when it was still kind of just a project. And then it was like a four month journey. I think, you know, they weren't really hiring. I had convinced them that they needed an ops manager, like an ops helper. So that's what um, you came in to do. Yeah. I mean, I basically came in to help um, acquire and like retain drivers. Okay. And then I ended up doing a bunch of different things, but it took like four months. You know, there was a point where I think I had convinced them that they needed the role and they posted it online. And I thought, shit, you know, they, they know they need the role, but they don't want me to do it. Sure. sure. <laughs> so then it just took um, a bunch of things. I wrote a like three page letter basically that was like, this is why you need to hire me. And this is why we need to do this. I wrote like a 30, 60, 90 day plan, which was really funny. You know, one of the things on there was sign a Mexican restaurant. Like they didn't have Mexican food on the site. And I thought, you know, people love Mexican food. Like that would crush. <laughs> and Tony like humbly was like, yeah, that's a good point. Like we should get Mexican food on there. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing was they had shirts for the drivers that were $20 a unit. And I got some made for um, $4. And I sent them a shirt and said, look, you know, this is like some of the help that I can provide. So I pushed really, really hard, um, which didn't make a ton of sense. I mean, they were in YC, but they weren't like, we hadn't raised the Series A from Sequoia. It's not like I was pushing my way into Amazon, but I just felt the connection to them. And I felt like they were grinders and- um, They just had a little bit of seed capital at the time or? Yeah, they had a seed round. It was like 2.4 million, which wasn't easy. I mean, out of YC, they didn't, they weren't like the hottest company in the batch. I mean, they are now. I mean, they're the hottest company like in all of YC outside of like Stripe and Airbnb. Were there any kind of lessons that you took away from working with that small of a team that became a large team, specifically in the area of leadership and growth? Yeah, I guess two things. One is that it, it can be kind of a land grab when you grow really quick. It's like, should you do product? Should you become a GM? Should you do recruiting? Like, I think for the most talented people, they were really dealing with the hard question of like, what should they do in the company? Because there's all these opportunities and they want to pick the right thing, meaning like the most important thing that like Tony cares about that whatever. And then balancing that with like what someone actually likes. So that was certainly one of them. And then just general leadership, you know, the the principles of leadership, which like haven't changed in like a hundred years, right? Like leading from the front, transparency, you know, not asking people to do things that you wouldn't do. But like really living that stuff, you know. Is, he felt like Tony really embodied that really well. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like, yeah, I mean, he's like a poor kid, right? He has this piece of shit car that when you get out of one side, you have to, he tells you, hey, make sure you lock that door, right? He's, it's just like who he is, you know, he's a grinder, he's obsessive. So naturally, he goes where the details are, like he wants to know how deliveries work. So he does them himself and um, somewhat strategic, but more just like who he is, you know. Yeah. And so I was able to. Um, learn from that and also felt really aligned. And I felt like I could be more of that in that environment than like maybe in other environments. Yeah, sure. So what prompted you, you to seek other opportunities? I'm just an early stage guy. You know, it was five, 600 people. 
I had people reporting to me that were way better at those functions than me. And I like the thrill of going from zero to one. Mm. And I hadn't started a company yet. And when you're that close to it, you know, I started at DoorDash four months after they started. Um, there's actually a big difference between like starting it and joining um, in a lot of ways. But you just, I just had to know, can I do it? What's it like? Um, so that was it. You know, it was, it was awesome too. Tony let me work like part-time while I could think of ideas and he was the best. Like he just aligned me with opportunities within the company that would map me to starting a company. And um, naturally he's pitching me on tons of things internally, but he still, I feel like really cared about me as like an individual, which I've now learned is actually like pretty rare. Yeah, no, sure. It, it, it seemed, uh, I've worked for several people that seemed like they were best buds. And then as soon as I <laughs> expressed any interest to not be working there anymore is dropped me like a bad habit. And you realize real quick that like some people genuinely only care about themselves and their projects. And then once they're, you're done with them, that's, that's it. You know, it's uh, kind it's of like dumb. I'd say like personally, like if you just enjoy relationships and long-term relationships, it's the right way to go. But even strategically, like if someone call, like let's say someone's going to join DoorDash now as an exec and they want to know, from an early employee, like what's Tony really like? Because he probably doesn't open up to most people and they call me, they're going to get like the best reference ever. And so um, it compounds, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it's weird. It's always this weird um, uh, question in my head of like, what do you think that you're incentivizing people to do at this point? You know what I mean? Like you're, you're just, all you're doing is creating fear among the people that are working for you. And like, for me specifically, I always kind of had the entrepreneurial itch anyway. And like, if I would have been able, if somebody that I w- w- was working for at the time would have given me more freedom or more flexibility or uh, the ability to tackle this new project or grow inside of their organization, become more of a quote unquote intrapreneur inside of the thing that they were building, I probably would have done that for a good amount of time and put a lot more money in their pockets. And for sure, it was just like, it didn't make sense to me. It was just like, I, I want people like me to work for me too. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want people that, that think like that. And so I know yeah. that if there's a better opportunity that comes along, that truly is better for them. I have to also be willing to encourage them to do what's best for them and their family and not always just do what's best for me because that's what I want. You know what I mean, so yeah, I, I've noticed this dynamic that sucks, which is giving two weeks notice when you leave. And the reason people give two weeks notice is because they're afraid that when they say, I want to leave, they're going to get fired like on the spot and they want to get paid for two weeks because they don't want a big gap. But it's like, I want to live in a world where someone says, hey, like I'm thinking about leaving in like six months. And then the egomaniacs are going to say, fuck that, you're fired like today, which is really stupid. And it's created this uh, culture where people are giving two weeks because they're afraid of that, you know? But you want to live in a world where someone can say, look, in three to six months, I'm going to leave. We can plan on it together. You can still perform. Um, I try to create that culture with everyone that reports to me. And I think they all know that like, I'm down for whatever's best for them as a person. And what I expect in return is to be respectful of the company and giving two weeks notice at an early stage startup is like, it's unprofessional. It's trash. Sure. Like the internet said two weeks is professional, but like, you know how this company works, you know, there's 10 people here. Like that's trash. Yeah. So this is the Bill Jabber podcast. Talk a lot about relationships here. We've already mentioned a couple, but if you look back in your career, besides Tony um, at DoorDash, is there any other people that you would look to and and say, man, I I just don't know where I would be. I don't know if I'd be here. I don't know where I'd be if it weren't for this particular person or how this relationship showed up in my life when I needed it. I mean, my mom for sure has like, you know, the, the idea of unconditional love, which I think as an operator, I believe really strongly in accountability. And I think that unconditional love 
this is a fun debate, but it's maybe not good. Um, but I appreciate it from my mom, you know, and I kind of have understood it more. Um, you know, in the professional sense, there is an investor, this guy, Keith Raboy, who works at Founders Fund. And I got connected to him pretty early at DoorDash. You know, Tony worked for him at Square. And he connected me to Keith and said, you know, you're going to run ops at this company. It's going to be big. We're going to grow fast. Keith is kind of the best. I want you to meet with him, you know, once a quarter or something like that. And so, you know, you look Keith's profile up, PayPal Mafia, all this stuff. Um, so I was pretty excited and, you know, maintained the relationship and met with him every now and then. And um, he was super, super helpful. And I think what shocked me the most is that, again, he was, he, he supported me as a person. Like I went to him in one of my darkest moments when he was an investor in the company that I was working for at the time and basically told him I couldn't work there anymore. And I didn't know like how he would react. And he was just super kind and helped me think through the best way to exit and like all that kind of stuff. Um, and I was just blown away, you know, cause most investors are pretty transactional. So I think he, he's been pretty helpful for me too. What about when you went to go raise for the company you're working on now, local kitchens? Tony's been really helpful, which is still amazing. Like this guy's super busy running a 60, $70 billion company to pick up. And like, you know, we, we pitched him a bunch of times and got feedback on the deck and things like that. Someone else that's been amazing is Pageman and Mar from, from Pear. I can't even remember if it's like Pear Capital or what their full name is, but it's, it's Pear. It's like an early stage firm that invested in DoorDash and they're impressive too. Just grinders, like both seem pretty rich and still working on decks late at night and they have a really good dynamic. And yeah. um, I felt the genuine like connection from them too, where they want us to succeed like as people, which again, seems pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like you have put yourself into a really giving kind of caring circle of people and friends. And typically when you tap into those and prove yourself to also be one of those people, you uh, get introduced to the other people that are in that circle. What's your advice for somebody out there who's listening to this and they're just like, man, I, you know, I, I, I don't live in a tech space. I, you know, I'm in Ohio or whatever, and I have this idea. I've been working on it. I have some customers, I have some traction, but I, I, I have no idea. Like I've never met any investors. I don't know any rich people. I don't know, you know, where, where do you start? Where do you start with, with starting to, to build that network and grow those initial relationships that you can prove yourself to so that they're comfortable with them making introductions inside of their own networks? I'm really bullish on in-person work and, and pretty bearish on most remote work, not all remote work. And so it's very hard to develop relationships over the internet. Yeah. Um, so my first piece of advice would be you got to move. Like you got to go where there's like the most amount of people doing what you're trying to do, you know? So whether it's like San Francisco or, you know, a lot of people going to Miami now. Um, and then I would, I would join an early stage startup because you want to have like deep relationships. Whereas if you go to like tons of networking events, um, I think it can be kind of surface level, although I'm sure that's effective for some people. But like DoorDash is a good example where I worked there for almost four years, built a reputation. And now even people that work there after I have left, I like have access to them because they know I was on the early team. And so that's like a two, 3000 person company. And so I have a huge network there um, now. So I think those are kind of two tips. And then I guess the last thing, um, when, when it becomes normal, it's easier. So like when I graduated college, I wasn't in like the entrepreneurship arena. And I used to think of starting a company as something that it was never even something I considered. Like people like Elon Musk and others that they do that. 
I'm not as smart as them. Like that's not me. But then you get in it and around it and you see people that are maybe not that good or smart or whatever. And you feel like, man, I think I'm a little better than this person. And they just raised a series A. So like, I bet I could do that. And I just think if you're in a place where that's not common, then it seems even more unattainable. And so then, you know, you join a fast growing startup and you think, oh yeah, I could start a company. And now I've started multiple companies. Some have been successful. Just not even a thought like 10 years ago, you know, like I was like, I was just felt like lucky to be on the DoorDash team because it was so elite, you know, let alone starting a company now and like raising money. Like that's, that's crazy. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, that's one thing I love about entrepreneurship, man, is it's a level playing field. Yeah. And obviously some people, you know, might have some advantages if they went to an Ivy League school and um, knew all the people whose dads were running nine-figure companies. And and I'm not saying that there's not advantages for some people um, versus other people, but I am saying that almost anybody, regardless of your intelligence level, your education level, if you can figure out how to solve a problem and deliver that solution to a group of people who want the solution, then you can make money in entrepreneurship. Totally. Um, which is That's a, like the immigrant thing. Look at Tony, poor, poor Chinese kid who comes over here and then now, you know, he's doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, not he you know, didn't do too shabby for himself. I would I would say. Yeah. Um, uh, I love I love that you said move there. Uh, the the environment these days, all 
always is pushing people to go more virtual and more virtual. And now the metaverse is coming up and people are going to be pushing more virtual, more virtual. And I've always been an in-person connection kind of a guy. And um, that's what I think it really takes like to your point to build real genuine connection, not just like, Oh, I know that guy. And we talked on zoom once or twice, or we hop on weekly zoom calls. Like it's not the same as getting together in person, shaking someone's hand or giving them a hug or like experiencing something, making a memory with somebody that to me is what really are kind of the core building blocks of building real relationships. And so I love that you said the first piece of advice is move, go somewhere else. Cause I think a lot of people don't give that option enough of enough thought. It's, it's not even a thought that's on the table. They're just kind of stuck where they are because that's where they've always been. And that's where the people in their life have always been. And so that's just where they're going to continue to be. And uh, I tell people all the time, the number one thing that's going to shape you in the next five years is your environment. Right? The people you hang out with, the media that you consume, the inputs that you have is ultimately going to shape the person that you become. The, the, the thing that most people don't want to acknowledge, though, is that you have ultimate control over what your environment is. And so if you continue to allow your environment to be something that doesn't push you to become the best version of yourself or something that uh, doesn't make you aware of the possibilities within your space, you can't really get upset about not achieving those things or uh, hitting those milestones for yourself because you're making it more difficult than it needs to be. Um, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot just to see if you can walk. And it just doesn't make any sense. If you truly want the things that you say that you want, why not make it as easy on yourself as you possibly can make it? Put yourself in an environment that's going to shape you to become the person that you can be so that you can achieve the things that you want to achieve. But ultimately, it all comes back to you, to the person, to the individual and the personal responsibility to say, you know what? I know this is where I grew up. This is the only place where I know anybody. And it's going to be really weird and scary to go somewhere else for myself. But this is what I want. And, uh, you know, so no excuses, let's put it all on the table and go for it. And I think that there's a lot of, um, a lot of psychological commitment to that as well in that sense of going all in on something. If you're moving across the country or to a different state or different city in in an uncomfortable and unfamiliar environment, just so you can put you and your family into a position where you can succeed in a, in a, um, maybe faster timeline, I think just that action is going to further commit you to making sure that it happens, right? Yeah, there's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but it's like, you know, extreme people get extreme results. Yeah, yeah, you can't can't be mediocre and expect great. And you can't, yeah. be, you can't be good and, ex- and expect great. You, know? totally. you can't even be great and expect great. You got to be outstanding. You got to be fantastic. You have to be um, so far above. And then you can hope that great. Yeah. And then like you need luck and you might, it might work. Right. Yeah. And then you do it over and over and over again until you hit the right timing too. Right. Uh, just selfish question here, bro. What was the most crazy part at DoorDash from growing from you being employee number one like in, and in terms of phases, right? Was it between seed round and series A, mm. series A to series B, you know, uh, before IPO, pre-IPO, post-IPO? Like what was the point where you were like, yeah. holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. The, I'll say the, the first like six months between seed and series A, where it was like seven days a week, like 9 a.m. to, you know, 1 a.m., to 2 a.m. like to do that for like six months in a row um the growth was just crazy and i i remember and i consider myself pretty like relentless and you know i've done long like physical like fitness events and um i I consider myself pretty up there in terms of like pain tolerance um and i remember it just being so intense and thinking like i can't sustain this 
but having so much work that it was just like, but you know, I need to go back to work, you know? So it was like a quick thought. You never thought about like quitting. Cause it's just, you, you just don't like have that in you. Right. Like just not, it's not a possible thing, but just the volume of like everything support tickets, like, you know, customer support was a, a phone in a house that wasn't even triage. So you'd be like, are you a customer, a driver or a merchant, you know, and just so much like there's so much demand for it. And we just had so little built out, you know, we didn't even have automatic pay for drivers or anything. And you have a team of six, seven people just getting destroyed. And, you know, everybody just kind of looks like shit on a daily basis. And it's just (laughs) like, just totally getting wrecked, but you have the camaraderie of the team. And so everyone kind of pulls through, like, I don't, no one really quit from that, that early crew, everyone, you're almost like a zombie. Like you just keep going and waking up and coming back and just yeah. doing it over and over. And you're not even thinking, you're just like, you just keep going. What was your biggest growth driver at that point to go from, we have to go out and get our next customer to, oh, these customers are coming from, I don't even know where they got, like that person told them they came in in a referral, they clicked a link, they saw, you know, this other person talk about it. Like when did it just kind of start snowballing? And you know what it was, was the, it was the red, um, Dasher shirts. So like all through Palo Alto and Mountain View on the most popular streets, University Ave, Cal Ave, you would just see these red shirts everywhere carrying food. And so everyone knew in this small town, like, what is it? And it was so novel back then, right? You could only get pizza and Chinese food delivered back then. So now you can get, you know, Mediterranean and, you know, your favorite Mexican and all this stuff. And um, so I think it was pretty viral from there. And then I think other factors like, you know, the founding team was all from Stanford and we were very much like the hometown team. I mean, we sucked at delivery, right? Like we were like 70% of orders were late, right? Like we were super bad at delivering food, but we had this thing that you, you couldn't get anywhere else and we did improve and customer service was really, really good, right? We would deliver cookies to people and we went to great lengths to apologize and yeah, to make up for the right. late delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, man. Crazy. So let's talk a little bit about what you got going on these days with local kitchens. What, what do you guys do? And um, uh, specifically, I would like to just kind of see what it took for you to raise the $25 million round from General Catalyst. Yeah. There's an interesting story. So, you know, we're a micro food hall, which is kind of a spin on ghost kitchens. You know, on the merchant side, I think of it as like basically AWS for restaurants. So, you know, previously a company needed servers and all this stuff, right? So previously a restaurant needed a building and they had to do all these things to expand. Now they can kind of just plug into us and be anywhere. And so we saw the need for merchants to expand. So you have all these restaurants, strong businesses, been around for seven years plus only two locations. And so we really learned that they're not expanding because there's so much work involved in actually doing it. And so the ghost kitchen thing was like not a good solution because they're just renting space. So all these brands and restaurants, they have to actually go there and cook the food and hire the people and manage the people and do all the stuff that makes it really hard. So we thought, well, what if we put them in you know kitchens all next to each other, um, which leads me to like the customer side, or as we say, the guest side, this opportunity for multi-brand ordering. So before us, you know, there's Grubhub, right, which brought all menus online, which was pretty revolutionary in 2004. DoorDash comes along and says, you know, we're going to put everybody online, not just the restaurants that deliver, right? Grubhub's just pizza, Chinese food, people who deliver. They don't do the delivery themselves. DoorDash says, we'll do the delivery because selection really matters. But I think the challenge is that like putting any food anywhere. So what if we launch in Ohio and Ohio wants Burmese food and there's no Burmese food there? Like it's tough for Grubhub and DoorDash to create a solution. So we put a restaurant there. We can see what food the area wants. 
we put it all in there. So there's a lot of economies of scale and efficiencies from, you know, 12 restaurants under one roof. But it's not your restaurant, though. The kitchen and the building is ours. Yeah. But each of the brands were essentially like licensing from. So they give you like, hey, here's how to make this dish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we do it with our staff. We do it. And it's delivery only. It's everything. So you can dine in in Palo Alto. There's like a beautiful place to dine Mm -hmm. in. Um, and then you can do pickup and then also delivery. So that was a core insight was that the ghost kitchens are in kind of crappy areas um, that no one would pick up food in, certainly not sure. your average suburban family. And by ghost kitchen, this is like something like a Mr. Beast burger, right? Where Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like digital have only. have an actual location. All they have is a kitchen and you can only order solely on delivery apps. Totally. Yeah. So we kind of believe more in serving the suburb market and having this experience where you come in, um, you can sit down and eat more Chipotle style. So it's not like there's a waiter or something like that. Um, are, 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 is it is it still the main brands? Like, so if you license this Chinese food place, it's going to be like their brand at the front of the kitchen or whatever? I mean, that's the magic. So we have their brands on like basically like stickers on the kitchen. And then they have stations where we actually prep the food. Nice. Um, and the packaging will be all of their packaging. And so it'll be exactly like if you were to go to their restaurant. Great. So wh- where are you guys at right now? So we have four locations in the Bay Area. We're launching Mount, or we just launched Mountain View, launching Menlo Park, and then launching up in Sacramento pretty okay. soon. And then after that, you know, looking to expand more in the Bay Area, more in Sacramento, and probably LA, SoCal area, and then probably looking to Texas. Yeah, cool. Um, is this all... Uh, this round of expansion, is that uh, directly related to what you pitched in the Series A? Yep, for sure. It's really about proving the kitchens can be profitable reliably and that we can grow really fast. So the, the seed round was like, you know, can you prove that people even want this? Sure. Um, we've we've proven that. And then it's like, can you prove that you can make money? Yeah, got it. Uh, real quick, I know we're running on, on time here. No worries. How was the Series A process for you? I know that a lot of founders talk about how it, it this is like their least favorite part and they just want to run the company and they take like six months to go find capital and pitch <laughs> and get rejected and pitch and get rejected and get pitched and get rejected. And then finally they get someone to say yes. And then three and a half months later after his term sheets are signed, they finally get a wire. And it's just like this long, drawn out, crazy process. Talk to me about how it went for you. Yeah, I mean, I we would definitely much rather be running the company than pitching. I think some of pitching is good because it it's a forcing function for you to think about your company long term. Sure. And so so that's helpful. It requires some planning. Um, it was pretty quick for us. I think we've been through it and we have a sense of what will be required. We have warm intros to everyone. And so it's a little bit expedited. Um, I think you have to be pretty strategic and know like someone's asking for a coffee chat. They're not actually interested. Um, and then, you know, you don't want to feel like you can't put pressure on them. Like you definitely want to assert yourself as like, you would be lucky to invest in our company without kind of saying that. And so at the end of the calls, you're basically saying like, Hey, are you serious about this? If you are, let's do these for the next steps. And so um, it's like all sales, you're trying to create urgency, you're trying to create FOMO, um, you're pitching a big, big vision, you're pitching the team. So ours was relatively quick. I think we wrapped it up in like, couple weeks, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the environment matters a lot. Like if you're in a recession, you might be, I mean, DoorDash had a, a year where we like grinded out raising. So it just depends. And in the journey of a seven to 10 year company, which is what it takes, like there definitely will be really tough rounds. And so you kind of strategically want to raise money when you can not raise too much. So relatively smooth. And then we got pretty lucky. I think with staff where 
we felt like a celebrity would help because it's such a consumer based brand and yeah. pair actually knew Stephen Curry. And so, um, we felt like it was a really good fit because he's, you know, such a family man and, um, represents himself well and represents the brand well. And sure. so it's kind of all in the Bay area. Yeah. And, and, you know, very well respected <laughs> in the Bay area and the rest of the world. So we felt like it'd be a strong partnership. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, look, this has been a lot of fun for me. Um, I know a lot of people listening are going to get a lot of value from this. It's all about relationship, relationships, guys. I mean, you heard him say that it takes some companies a year, year plus to to close up a single round and they did it in a couple of weeks. And I, I know that the idea was really great, but I have to assume that a lot of that was because you got direct intros from influential people who believed in you, who had mentored you, who had personal relationships with you for a long period of time. And that trusted that if they were going to give you money, that it wasn't going to go away and it's probably going to multiply. And so, look, guys, it's all about those relationships. Get out, go build them, move somewhere, put yourself in the environment to succeed, um, just like Andrew did. And I, I know that um, I know that you're going to see some amazing results from that. Andrew, before we take off here, bro, where can people go to kind of learn more about you, follow you, see what you're up to? Yeah, I'm not super active online. I think probably LinkedIn. And I feel like I probably should be more active there. I think the self-promotion stuff has never felt super natural to me, but it it is super effective. And I feel like I probably should do more there. But I feel like that's the medium where, you know, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, like you'll see that I, as we say, kind of play the game with joy. Like I don't really take it too serious. And I think there's a lot of jokes in there, but that's probably where I'm the most active since I'm actively recruiting all the time. So I'm checking it pretty constantly. Perfect. So guys, go connect with Andrew over on LinkedIn. That's Andrew Monday. Monday spelled with a U instead of an O. Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show, man. This is fun. For sure. Thanks for having me, Travis. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.